This season, the Thursday Club is sponsored by Green King Sports. And right now, you can get 20% off all drinks at any Green King Sports pub an hour before, during, or an hour after any televised sport. This includes all the football that's on at the moment, plus the Rugby and Cricket World Cup games that are on the box too. To get this deal, make sure you download the Green King Sports app. And you'll be able to use it on Monday night. If you can't make it to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, get to your local Green King Sports pub and they'll be showing Spurs versus Fulham. Download the Green King Sports app and you can get 20% off all your drinks while you're there. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish podcast. It's the Fulhamish podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show. Today, we're going to be looking ahead to Monday night's trip to Tottenham Hotspur. Unbeaten Tottenham Hotspur. Never thought I'd be saying that eight games into the season. Difficult trip to North London on Monday night. But there are a couple of key omissions for Spurs to give a little bit of hope for the travelling Fulham faithful. In this episode, we'll also round up everything that happened with some of Fulham's players in the international break and we've got a load of great emails at the end to go through including one that I think will definitely put the uh, the brains of Jack and Peter to the test and I'm joined as I mentioned by the regular Thursday club Jack Collins hello hello listeners hello Sammy how we doing good thank you and Peter Rutzler fresh from a holiday hello hello is it a holiday if you just don't do anything and you just stay in your flat does that count well is that what actually a staycation is because a lot of people get annoyed when you say a staycation, but actually it means that you go on holiday to Cornwall. Because that's what I would count as a staycation, staying in your house. I call that a staycation, not just oh, I went to Devon rather than Spain. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm easy. I, I don't tend to... I think if you're going away, I tend to go abroad because it's probably the same price to get on the train to Cornwall as it is to get to Spain these days. So I would suggest that it's not something that I've I've kind of gone with often. But yeah, I'm, I'm happy to accept your definition. Peter, are you happy to accept that it was a staycation? Not really. I mean, the cation bit implies, you know, some kind of, you know, I don't know margarita or something in your hand and sitting back. But what what, what is just day of leave where you, you just have an ordinary day that you just don't work in? What's that? Just just a day. It's got a weekend. <laughs> I mean, you make it sound really meant mundane. Did you not even do anything? Did you watch something on Netflix? Did you? I mean, literally, literally was it just a, tr- a trip to Lidl and nothing? No, no, else? no. To, to, to be fair, my my girlfriend's out in Kent, so I went down there. So I guess it does count as a staycation. If if that. Yeah. Okay, oh, you went away. That's not even a staycation anymore. You went on holiday. You went on holiday there. Yeah. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Oh, dear. Oh, well, let's get into some of the uh, internationals. And there's only really one place to start. Sunday evening, there I was kind of trying to keep abreast of, well, it was a very good rugby match on at the time. It was was France-South Africa. But I had an eye on the Wales-Croatia game. But I'll be honest, it was was not a big eye. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, Jack, Harry Wilson pops up with a brace, keeps Wales' dream of going to Germany massively alive. And... I don't know. I feel like this is the Harry Wilson that we haven't seen since the championship season. And I'm just hoping this is the start of a glorious revival. Yeah, I mean, they're two really good goals, Amazing. I think, is is the important thing. The, the first one is a, is a glorious finish over the keeper. And the second one is an incredible flicked header. And it's interesting the kind of position that Harry Wilson takes up 
for this Wales side. Now they play with three at the back. They play with wing backs in Nico Williams, obviously we, we know well. We saw Dan James feature as well, though he came off the bench. And Wilson sort of drifts inside as a 10, but often actually from a left-hand side position. Um, him and Brooks switch roles relatively you know, regularly. So there's a bit of both. But the fact that he's given that freedom to express himself in the 10, he's allowed to run on past Kiefer Moore, who is your traditional big number nine, wins flick-ons, et cetera, et cetera. It's an interesting thing that we don't see very much of with Wilson. He's quite pigeonholed, I think, at Fulham in terms of where he where he plays in this team. And it's just a reminder that he can play different roles and thrive within them. The, the run off Kiefer Moore for the first goal is sensational. The touch to bring it down is, is excellent. And then the little lifted finish over the keeper. Really, really impressive from Wilson. The second one, flicked header. It's not kind of the, the goal you associate with Harry Wilson. Off the back of his head, into the in, into the back of the net. Uh, kind of coming across the front post. So it's not really scenes that we see Harry Wilson in all that often in a, in a white shirt. But it's just a kind of nice reminder that he can do various roles. And this was a really, really impressive performance. And as you say, a massive, massive win for Wales, who pretty much looked down and out before the start of this international break. They then went and, and won against Latvia um, in the end of the last break, which did, did keep them alive. But we knew they'd have to beat Croatia in order to stand any sort of chance for qualifying. And suddenly they're back in second in the group. Now, obviously, they have to win their last two games in order to stay there ahead of Croatia. But a massive turnaround, considering the Croats were six points clear of the Welsh going into this international break. They've lost two. The Welsh have won both. And suddenly we're in, you know, in dreamland if, you, if you're Welsh, I assume. Yeah, well, I think it's all going to come down to the final day. I think Wales played Turkey at home on the final match. When Turkey are basically qualified, I think actually qualified now. So might yeah, not they are, be they're there. They're putting everything on it. Wales have got a good record against Turkey. I'd put Wales in a very strong position, especially that they'll probably have the backup of a, uh, a playoff place if it all goes uh, tits up. I mean, Peter, I feel like as well, Wilson is now one of the senior members of this squad. It was his 50th cap as well. And I guess... You know, it's been well covered, the kind of shift in generation for Wales. Um, get no more Gareth Bale, Aaron Ramsey, not quite the force that he once was. So Wilson's probably one of the most senior members of this team now. And well, seems to be thriving in that role of, of, of slightly carrying. Yeah, he's 26 now, which feels strange because he's always been seen as that player who's coming through, that young player to trying to make his mark in in the Premier League but I think it was also 10 years to the day since he made his debut because he's he's been around a long time at least in in um mm. in Welsh circles made his debut when he was 16 so um he has that experience doesn't he so at this time where you are saying goodbye to the old guy obviously Gareth Bale and you've got you know Ramsey at the latter end of his career now and it's it's you're looking to to him because he was sort of the the next one through and that next middle strata so Wales' success will depend on players like like Harry Wilson and, and performances like the one we saw against Croatia um, are the kind of thing you, you kind of need and may, maybe there's an element of taking on that responsibility um, and thriving within that um, I think also it, it was really interesting you know what Jack was saying and I was thinking back to when he signed for Fulham and there's all that talk about where he'd play and what he can do and is he quite good as a 10? And it was exactly the same sort of conversations that would happen when he was at Bournemouth as well. You know, can he, is he, can you get more out of him in a, in a central position? Cause it, his style is quite sort of specific, isn't it? It's very much about off ball movement into play. 
um, trying to find those pockets on the edge of the box and scoring goals. Um, he's not really a typical 1v1 winger. He's not someone who's going to always beat a man necessarily um, using trickery. He'll do it using his, using his brain, trying to think a few steps ahead. And that's what made him so effective in, in the championship. So, yeah, it's it's been more, it's I mean when you think about how his season started as well, it's you want him to kick on but he hasn't quite hit those heights and you just hope that performances like this on those kind of occasions can can help him take that next step with with his um with his with his career and if he can help take Wales to a to another major tournament then he'll be one of Wales's most successful ever players. Um that's quite something. Yeah, um, no, big up Harry Wilson, an incredible night and just amazing scenes. Just that Welsh crowd at the Cardiff City Stadium. I mean, the Cardiff City Stadium, whenever I see it for Cardiff City, I'm always like, it looks like a dreadful place. And yet when the Welsh national team play there, it's like the San Siro. It's absolutely unbelievable on those nights. And he absolutely send them into raptures. They've had quite a change, haven't they, with the Welsh team? Because the national team used to be quite split between you know the north and the south and Obviously, it's all come together with a success in recent years, and um, I was just thinking because Harry Wilson's family were all there, and you know, they they were like supporters of Wales even before the succession you know, of the really dark years where they would barely win any points in qualifiers, and he had his uncle who would you'd go to games and and dragged his his dad, and obviously now you've got Harry Wilson as one of their most senior players and helping them to take take the team to the to the Euros. It's, it just remains it's such a it's a really good story. And sometimes um, when, when it's not it's not the happiest of times at the moment, but um, these little things within football can can uh, can really get people going. Yeah, worth searching out Peter's uh, article from way back um, with uh, with Wilson's family. I remember that one, Peter, and it was uh, it was a it was good, good one fun at the time. One. I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm sure if you uh, Google Peter Rutz the Harry Wilson, it'll uh, it'll come up uh, pretty quickly. Uh, Jack uh, Sasalukic grabbed an assist for Serbia last night uh, against uh, Montenegro. Um, there was someone else, I think, that scored a couple of goals for for Serbia. Well, the goal but... was the goal that was scored from the assist was some fella that um, I've never heard of, um, so I, I don't know. I yeah, don't know who, did, who, I, got, who got that goal? But yeah, it was it's good. It's a, it's a really good finish actually from from a very smart little assist from Luke Kitch. It was so, a great assist. Yeah. I heard. I heard the finish wasn't all that, but the, the assist the was just sumptuous. It, it was a bit of a, it was a bit one of those Tom Carroll assists, you know, where he finds Bale and then Bale does all the work. Of course, <laughs> it's a really, really good finish. Um, but yeah, Luke Kitch, Luke Kitch just slots it out wide and, and all of the work is done by this Serbian striker. I, who, I still think you can't, you can't teach that kind of a pass, Jack. You cannot teach that kind of passing. It's beautiful. Look, it was a massive win for Serbia. I think is the um, is is the key. Um, and and actually, when you when you look at what they've been doing and, and the result and the loss to to Hungary that happened in the in the first of their two international qualifiers this week, that was a pretty. I think that loss would have weighed heavily on them because Serbia were very good. They had two goals disallowed for offside, hit the bar, hit the post, and still managed to come out without getting anything out of that Hungary game. And it means that Hungary still remain. In, in kind of top spot in that group, albeit only by a point now, but they have a game in hand on Serbia. I think both of these nations will go through. Um, Montenegro have a game in hand too, but they're five points behind Serbia and Serbia now have the head-to-head record. It means that basically if they win their final game in these qualifiers, which is against Bulgaria, who I believe are bottom of the group without a win, they should qualify. So so you'd, you'd imagine that Serbia will be there at the European Championships next year. And Sasha Lukic is a key part of that side. So yeah, it, it was a good from him, good performance. And he, he's done okay, I think, in this international break, starting to click into to what feels like some sort Serbia of Serbia haven't qualified for the Euros for 
20 odd years, haven't they? It's, it's, they've got an awful record in Europe. They just go, they just go yeah, to World Cup. That's it. They're just, they're just World Cups. So obviously it was the penalty, wasn't it? Mitrovic and against Scotland in the playoff. Who? That's, oh yeah, yeah. sorry. Shit. You got to believe that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule out them somehow conspiring to lose against Bulgaria because their record is, it tends to happen for Serbia. So you never know. They've got their main man though, though Sasalukic. Yes. So yeah. they'll be they'll be absolutely fine with with uh, their yeah their star midfielder um, providing. They've actually never assists. qualified. I've just looked this up. They've never qualified as Serbia itself for a European Championship. The last time they qualified, they were as Serbia and Montenegro, or the former Republic of Yugoslavia. Was that what two thousand and eight? Two thousand was the last time they were yeah, at a horrendous European Champions. That's mental. You think about it it, they're wild. quite a regular fixture at World Cups? I knew that they. And they got quali- to the qu- they got to the quarterfinals as well, which is kind of wild. And then you look at the the last what six World Cups, they've only missed one of them. Yeah. So, yeah, interesting. But uh, alas, that's one of yeah. those where we'll, we'll see how they go. But I, I would say that they will beat Bulgaria and get there and end this curse. Um, Jack Tim Ream played for the US in the defeat by Germany on Saturday. It was not. I think it was Tim's finest. Um, performance no, yeah. um, the US lost 3-1 and it was beer, I mean it was, certainly wasn't just Tim but the defence was all over the place in the second half yeah they were they were a mess and in fact if it wasn't for Matt Turner who had a very very good game despite conceding three this could have been a cricket score so yeah not a not a great performance from from the US uh, obviously didn't play in the second game which the US won comfortably last night which is you know something to be to be looked at they were very very good against Ghana um, and they were to be honest they were okay in the first half against against Germany but as Nagelsmann's patterns of play and that kind of strike force that rotates or, or Fulkrug as as a kind of solo player and then Wirtz and Musiala and it all started to click and there was no answer in that American back line whatsoever. And it did look like they were being pulled from pillar to post. So yeah, not, not Tim's finest hour, shall we say in the stars and stripes. But I think that it was also a measure of the quality that Nagelsmann was already looking to get out of Germany, that they were that good. Although that said, Germany made a couple of changes and drew with Mexico last night. So mm. take it all with a pinch of salt, I'd imagine. And um, Peter, I was interested by this Anthony Robinson news because he didn't travel to the US. And they said that the reason was because something to do with the development of a sports hernia. So I was like, oh, okay, well, he won't then play against Sheffield United because that news was announced before Sheffield United, but then he did play. So... I don't know if you have much light to shed on it. Maybe not. I don't know if anyone's said anything, but maybe it was because they were like, okay, we're going to get Anthony a small operation during this time to kind of fix the what was going wrong there. But I don't know. And I, I also don't really understand exactly if how a hernia develops or debilitates you. It's obviously not quite as sudden and traumatic as like a an ACL injury or something like that. It does sound concerning though, if that suddenly will mean Robinson's going to have a layoff at any point. Yes. Yeah, like, it seems like a disconnect, doesn't it? Um, I think it was Greg Berholz who came out and said that Robinson was developing this sort of sports hernia, um, which is around the, it's like the upper thigh, isn't it? So the groin area. Um, so, but then, yeah, I was actually similarly surprised that the Robinson played. Obviously, there was no mention of it in Silver's press conference. I wasn't there for Silver's press conference, but he there was no mention of it, I don't think, um, specifically. Um, 
I mean, the rest is a good thing. I, with these, I think there's sort of, a, they, they can be slow developing injuries. I don't know too much about them, so I can't give you a, a full medical diagnosis, unfortunately. Um, Damn it. But yeah, it's <laughs> it was what was interesting actually about the game was just how well Robinson played in that Sheffield United game as well, um, with that considered. And the fact that, you know, he played pretty well against Crystal Palace before, um, even, even if he's carrying this, this knock. And he did it sort of last year as well, didn't he, with, a, with an ankle injury before the World Cup. Um, obviously you don't really want to be overdoing it on that side. There is cover, there's plenty of cover at left back now with, with Balotore and, and Calvin Bassi, but um, evidently not serious enough for him not to play in the in the Premier League, but not necessarily needed for international friendlies. And I suppose in that context, it, it makes sense. An interesting one. And also, I guess with it, with it being two friendlies for the US, maybe they might have respected Fulham's wishes a little bit more on this one. Whereas in November, I believe it's competitive CONCACAF Gold Cup matches for, for the US. Cup, yeah. yeah, so that maybe like US would have been less forgiving. But on this one, they're probably like, yeah, pick our battles. And two friendlies against Germany and Ghana doesn't really massively matter in the long term, two and a half years out from the World Cup. Um, Jack, any other kind of international... Uh, appearances that you wanted to bring up. There wasn't an awful lot um, other than that, that I, that I saw. I think a lot, there was a lot of unused sub appearances. It felt like from Fulham's contingent. No, there wasn't loads of things. Um, Raul Jimenez played the first game for Mexico, but didn't play in their second one, which was the the two all draw against Germany. So he was, he, he did okay in their first game against Ghana and, and then obviously didn't feature in the second. I saw Bobby De Cordova read, Get a goal, and he captained. He captained Jamaica, which was nice. That was that was quite cool. I thought Michael Hector played in that game as well, and just for some some blasts for the past. Um, but yeah, there, there wasn't there wasn't loads. You're right. There, there was there was a, a fair bit of under twenty one stuff. Um, I know that I know that Adrian Pichazitis played for Albania, and I think he got on score sheet. Um, and I think that Ollie O'Neill came on for the Ireland under twenty ones. And I was looking at the highlights of that yesterday, but there wasn't very much from the highlights of that game. So yeah, not not loads to to report. Luke Harris didn't play, which I think is something you know we've we've seen a little bit of on social media for Wales's senior side, and especially when they were playing in that game, you know that friendly game in in the first place they were four 0 up, and you were thinking, right, is this the opportunity for Luke Harris to finally get onto the pitch? And they chose not to do that, which was which was interesting. Um, but he then played for the under twenty ones, I believe. I guess it's a bit strange so, the Harris thing. Yeah, it was like it was because he's been called up a couple it? of times. Like, if he's been around for so yeah, long, yeah. So. And it was Gibraltar. Like I feel like that would have been a nice one to ease him in. <laughs> I get it, not putting him in the red hot furnace of Croatia at home in a massive qualifier. But yeah, Gibraltar probably probably could afford him twenty minutes there, lads. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's an interesting one, isn't it? And do you think Timothy Castagna as well, churning out the minutes yes. for Belgium. Um, he's been consistent when he's coming for Fulham. He's very consistent when he's been playing for Belgium. He's a little bit of a, an unsung hero so far, I think. Maybe not hit, yeah. heroes a bit strong so yeah. early in the season, but he's 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 come in and he's started really quick, quite well. Um, adapted quite quickly to what Fulham want to do, and I guess the the fact that he has this role for for a, for a team like Belgium, I think, underscores the the ability that he has as well. So, um, yeah, it's uh, good to see him progressing. He got an assist in their, in their first game as well, I'm pretty sure. He picked up an assist in, in the win uh, over Austria. Obviously, the, the second game only lasted 45 minutes and we all know what's, what's got down in, in, in Belgium there. But yeah, the, the Sweden game was abandoned, but he, he got an assist in, in the Austria game. Uh, the only other one I'd, I'd mention is, is Rapalinha, who I thought was really good in the 3-2 win 
uh, for Portugal against Slovakia. It was pretty much a group decider and it was the game that sent Portugal to the Euros. And he was basically asked to be a one-man wrecking ball. He was set up in, as the one in a 4-1-3-2. Roberto Martinez has been doing lots of different things with his Portugal side. I think they're really interesting at the moment in terms of just looking at what they, what they, what their shape looks like ahead of the Euros and how they can make all the component parts fit. They've had, you know, a pretty successful qualifying campaign. They've won every game. But what's been really interesting, they've experimented with three at the back. They've experimented with two up top. They've experimented with a, a double pivot with Polina as the single pivot. He didn't play in the 5-0 win over Bosnia as they kind of shifted it around again. But his kind of place in that side and what Martinez wants to use him for, I think is going to be an interesting one going forward because I'm not sure that he knows and this is why we're seeing so many variations of formation from Portugal right now as to what his best lineup is. And I think that's probably a good thing for Fulham because you kind of turn that around and you go, okay, he's played in some of these games. He's played in the big ones. So you'd imagine he's still first choice preference to play in that defensive midfield role for Portugal right now. But he's not playing every game. He's been rotated in and out of the side. His spot is not guaranteed. You'd imagine he'll be in the squad, but he's going to want to play at next summer's Euros. And that, I think, gives incentive to continue trying to put together another good season for Fulham. Yeah, he was uh, played in the Miley Cyrus role then. The one man wrecking ball. Very good. All right, that'll do for the international roundup. His Pete just shakes his head at me. He's going to log off now. <laughs> After the break, we'll preview Spurs. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast it is Sammy James here with Jack Collins and Peter Rutzler. Let's look ahead then to Spurs on Monday night, Monday night football at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Uh, my first, first visit to Spurs, I wasn't able to go to the game last year and I think it's only our second time there with fans. Um, so yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to getting my, uh, my pint that fills from the bottom and uh, enjoying the facilities. Um, can't wait. Um, I'm a little bit unsure about how to get home. I really don't like the sound of this like rush and crush for the tube uh, at the end, which sounds a little bit miserable on a Monday evening when trying to get back to Surrey. But anyway, they're my problems. Um, let's have a look then um, at the match. And Peter, I mean, we sit here eight games into the season and everyone keeps saying unbeaten Tottenham Hotspur, but I think they are forgetting the little remembered Carabao Cup second round penalty shootout defeat. I would not count that as unbeaten if I were being picky, but uh, yeah, they have had a good start to the season barring uh, a terrible spot kick. Yeah, that was the, the sort of one blip, the one moment where everyone was about to burst the Ange Postacoglu bubble, I think. And he's had that. It's sort of like a, it's like a new appointment bounce. that's just continued the whole way through and, He's been very impressive. Um, the way he's completely changed the mood at the club, which is is no small thing because it's been. Do do you buy into it? Do you buy into Ange ball? <laughs> I mean, anything with a ball on the end can go two ways, can't it? We know about that with with Fulham. <laughs> um, I, I I I don't think I don't think there's anything majorly. Uh, revolutionary about what we're seeing on the field tactically. I think what's been very interesting is everything off off the field. Um, completely changing the mood, the atmosphere around the club. Um, because when you think back, obviously with with Hurricane's departure, with the the anger and upset about how long it was taking to appoint a manager, the the criticism of of Daniel Levy and and everything else that was going on at Spurs, um, it feels like he's almost single handedly turned that 
mood around. Um, they it helps that he's playing a progressive style of play, which is a major contrast to Mourinho and Conte, um, which I think if you're a supporter, you appreciate a lot. And I think you know there's much to be said about what it means when you start watching uh, a team that's more interested in taking risks and, and playing attacking football. I think there's a there's a comparison with Fulham there too. Um, and yeah, he's, he's the way he's, you know, he speaks, you know, obviously the press love him, you know, the, the stories he gives, he's just very down to earth, but the supporters also love him as well. He connect, connects with them quite well. And um, he, se- he seems to be getting a lot out of his players. You know, he, they, they've not missed Harry Kane. Um, that's the big thing, isn't it? When you lose a key players, how you adapt and it doesn't seem like they're missing him at all. And that's despite Richarlison coming in and just still having this seeming confidence crisis that spurs. Um, but he's found a solution by putting some through the middle and they're doing really well and they deserve to be where they are on the table. So that makes it, makes it a tough game. I mean, Jack, I'm getting slightly bored of every time Ange Postacoglu, I don't know, goes and buys a chocolate bar from a shop. It seems to be some sort of a headline about what a bloke this guy is. Oh mate, he's so, so what a, what a hoot. It's just like, come on. South <laughs> African, is he? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> South African, is he? Yeah. <laughs> Shut up. It's not that bad. He's <laughs> Welsh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, it is a little bit boring now. Come on. He can't do anything. He's just like, oh, he's such a normal bloke. Like, oh, for God's sake. Anyway, he is doing a good job on the pitch, which I guess slightly justifies some of the ridiculous over-the-top headlines about him. I mean, he does seem like a nice bloke. He's someone I'd, I'd go for a pint with. Not that much more than that. But anyway... <laughs> Yeah, but in a world that's full of people who are just incredibly cutting and then give no one the time of day, I think reporters are just like, wow, this bloke answers my questions and therefore he gets, you know, more shrift than perhaps other people would. And he tells stories and he explains himself well. And I think a lot of it is down to, you know, his philosophy on football and how that impacts things. And, you know, having watched a lot of him at Celtic, he talks a lot about the fact that it's not just a club's job to win, but, you know, to make fans feel that they are using hard-earned cash, et cetera, et cetera, for an experience that they're enjoying, you know, and whether that is, obviously, he was like, everyone can't win all the time, but you have to try and entertain as much as as you are going out there to win because that's your job as a as a as a manager and as a club. And it's a sentiment that someone like Marcelo Bielsa has expressed before. And it got quite a lot of airtime when Bielsa said it. And there was all that chat about Bielsa. Remember making his, his team do the community service work that would basically equate to the price of a ticket. And then being like, this is what people go through to come and watch you. You therefore have a duty to go out and, and try and entertain them as much as, as go out there and win. And, what I think that Postacoglu has done really well is that he's meshed those things together. And as Peter says, they play a really exciting style of football. We've seen so much of this squad be new. Destiny Adoji's in there. Van der Ven's in there. We saw Basuma, who won't play in this game. We'll come on to it. Um, we've seen him get his kind of first real run in the team. Pape Saar, the same thing. Suddenly, and Madison's new as well. So this is not a team that has, has lots of component parts from, from the last couple of years stuck together. This is a team that has been kind of rebuilt over the summer and not just rebuilt in terms of players coming in. Obviously, there have been big signings in the shape of, of Madison and Van der Ven, etc. But actually players who were getting very little game time or exposure last year, the two midfielders in Basuma and Saaf in particular, but also Pedro Porro was in and out of the team. We saw Romero kind of criticised for various different elements. We saw someone like Richarlison not getting much game time and suddenly... 
things are all changing at Spurs. And I, I kind of put that down to Postacoglu's coaching and his ability to, to get a team moving forward in the right directions. And you can only see, you know, the impact that James Madison's had to look at it and think, okay, why would you not want to play for Postacoglu as a player of Madison's kind of maverick ilk? Because he allows you that freedom to go in and do what you need to do. And so, yeah, I think a lot of these headlines might be overkill in terms of what a you know a lovely bloke he is every time he does anything out of the ordinary. But I think the job he's doing at Spurs is pretty remarkable, to be honest. Yes, just like I do like him in principle. It's not that. It's just like, oh my god, he like just just takes a deep breath and everyone's like, God, he just breathes different to everyone else. <laughs> like, he's <laughs> Scottish now. <laughs> I'm gonna stop doing accents anyway. Um, Peter, Ibrahima being out for Spurs. As soon as I saw that come in uh, on the Saturday, I was like, "That feels big." He is an absolute rock in that midfield. Um, I think he has been to them what someone like Polina has been to us. Admittedly, he was a very silly boy uh, in that Luton game, and I don't know what he was doing because it was just reckless the way he got himself sent off. Um, it feels huge because also you imagine someone like Hoiberg is going to come in, and I thought. When he played at the cottage against us, I thought we absolutely ran him ragged. So this feels like a win. And also I look at Spurs' recent results. Luton should have scored. Like if if had a buy had a left foot, they would have. Um Corley Woodrow also missed a sitter. Um Liverpool famously should have scored more than one <laughs> good, goal against them. Good, good stuff. The ex Fulham boys missing sitters against yeah, Spurs. That's like, nice omens, isn't yeah, well it? Well done, lads. Um Arsenal scored twice against them. Sheffield United could have won that had it not been for a crazy end. Burnley scored twice against them. All I'm trying to say here is like, yes, it's going to be a difficult game, but I'm looking at this and thinking if Fulham stick to a game plan, I feel like we've got a chance. Yeah, more than a chance. They're not invincibles. I think you're right. I think the way you've described that is is really apt. And I think the, the loss of uh, Eve Basuma is is huge and it feels a bit scandalous the way, he's, the way he's been used at Spurs since he's joined from Brighton and how... We haven't, we haven't seen the best of him there because we, he was a fantastic player when he was playing at, at Brighton and um, it's only now really that we're we're seeing the the fruits of that so um, obviously a huge loss He's, he does have that integral role in the heart of midfield I think it was the Arsenal game that really stood out the two-all draw uh, where he was absolutely exceptional you know it's, it's not easy running the running the game at the Emirates you know only an elite company can do that like Jao Polina so um Yep. Um, there'll only be one on the field uh, on Monday night. So, um, look, it's, it's going to be a difficult game. You know, the Spurs have, have threats in, in, in different areas as well. But um, I think the way those recent games have gone out, have performed, and, and to be honest, when you're not playing well and you're picking up results, they always say that's a good sign. And it is. It's a sign of, of, of the belief within the group, uh, a belief in what they're doing and, and, and the, the ideas that the manager's trying to get across. And they've clearly bought into that very quickly. So they're a very good team and, and they, they can be any, they, I think they can be anyone really in this league when they're at their best. So it's going to be a, a, a difficult challenge for sure. And, um, but you know, losing losing Basuma is, is huge. He, he is he's at the heart of what they're doing, and particularly in those, those forward areas when they're providing that yeah. support for those in the forward areas. And Jack, from a from a Fulham perspective, this feels like a great opportunity for our slightly newly found counter attack to really get stuck in to uh, to Spurs. There'll be a lot of space on that pitch. Tottenham will have most of the ball. It feels like don't know. Just feel like I'm excited actually to see Fulham in this game and and we've performed 
all right against the big boys this year. I mean, I think back to that Arsenal draw and as much as you look at a 5-1 defeat by City and that wasn't pretty, but there was a big extenuating circumstances and it was a brilliant yeah. first half from Fulham in that game. I'm going into this, obviously not expecting anything, but I'm, I'm expecting Fulham to, to ruffle feathers. Yeah, I, I think that there's plenty of hope for, for anyone travelling down to, a, to know, up to North London from, from here anyway yeah. um, on, on Monday night. So I'm, I'm excited about it too. I'm excited about, about seeing them at, at this stadium again. Last time we were at Tottenham and I was at that game where we, we lost 2-1, but they thought they'd scored and Richarlison got booked for taking off his shirt, celebrating a goal that didn't count, which is remains the most Richarlison thing of all time. Um it was it was one of those where we didn't ever really feel like we got a foothold in the game and and Babu had a nightmare playing at left back. It, it was all very uncomfortable and you know he who must not be named scored a brilliant goal for us and then it brought us back into it. But it didn't ever really feel that Fulham had Spurs on the ropes. Whereas I do think there is an element of this that you look at it and think, could you get under their skin a little bit here? Fulham obviously have the Carabao Cup win you know, in the bank already. And so Spurs will be looking at this and going, okay, we shouldn't underestimate this team. If you can get a little bit of, you know, early luck or a bit of rubber the green, I think that there is an element of, of the fan base that might spark to panic, especially without Basuma's press resistance. And you know, the way he carries the ball, the way that he, he dominates midfields is so important to the way that Spurs actually move the ball through the thirds and attack. And without him, I wonder if that's just a little bit stunted on Monday night. Now I could be completely wrong and they could throw Pierre-Emile Hoybier in there and he might be absolutely phenomenal. But I think that Basuma being out is a big miss. I think he's one of the key components in this Spurs side. And I'm excited to see what Fulham do to try and make the most of that absence in the middle of the park. All right, well, we'll see what happens. Uh, it's an 8pm kickoff uh, against Spurs uh, and it's on uh, Monday Night Football. And uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see what happens. We'll take another quick break there. Afterwards, we'll get into some of your emails. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy here with Jack and Peter. Let's get into your emails before we end today's pod. Going to start off with this one from Brian Lake, who says, hello, Fulhamish. Curious, even though Marco says he's not looking for a striker in January, do you have any players who we could go out and get on a domestic loan that would be a possible fix to our goal drought at the striker position? And if we're not truly looking for a striker to help in this capacity, what are your thoughts in going after Gio Reyna from Dortmund? Out of favour with the manager there and with his injury record, we might be able to get him on the cheap. Thanks for everything you do. That's from Brian. I guess this is kind of a two-part question. I mean, I don't hate the idea of Gio Reyna, although we kind of have a plethora of number 10s. Um, Chad looks a bit yeah. distressed there. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think we need to go and get involved with the Giro. Like, as much as I love the full America connection, I feel like that's stretching it a little bit far. Like, Giro Reyna is, is a lovely footballer, but he doesn't feel like the kind of profile that Fulham really need. I think my question is, was that supposed to be an answer to the striker position? Because if it was, I'm going to say a hard no. Um, no, I think he was not, kind then... of going on like, oh, well, if we don't want a striker, what about a number 10? But I, yeah. I don't think we need another number 10 at the moment. Of all the positions I think that we, we're kind of lacking in, it's pretty it's pretty low down my list striker i mean striker options on on loan i mean jack me and you talked about jurassic but like i, I, I jurassic will definitely not come in january and he's i, I think i think that the, the jurassic season has, has passed i'm afraid yeah, I so think he's I. going to he's going to he's going to be looking higher from here on in i still think pavlidis is is gettable but i think brian's talking about loans in particular so I'm struggling to kind of work out exactly where where you go for that. A lot of teams, you know, have have their own issues up top. And 
I think that whilst there are options in terms of if you went to City, for example, and, and had a little look around at the elite development squad and looked at some of the players that went out there on loan last season, you know, the likes of, of, of Doyle, for example, whether that kind of could be fitted in, maybe, but a lot of these players have now been sold. Liam Delaps, obviously someone like that has, has gone out on loan to Hull. Tommy Doyle's at Wolves. I, I don't know where you go there in order to try and, you know, bring someone in who's going to completely and utterly change things. And so you're either looking at kind of someone slightly over the hill or you're looking at someone really young and unproven. And I'm not sure that Fulham are going to kind of go for either in a domestic loan kind of setting in January. Yeah, it just doesn't feel massively realistic, Peter, that the fix comes this season short of them going with the absolute war chest for someone huge that feels like the only potential fix is like spending all the Mitrovic money if you find someone in January but I don't know if there's a solution a cheap and easy and available solution because if they were good enough to be able to score goals for Fulham in the Premier League then I think they would already be scoring goals somewhere else big for a club that wouldn't want to let them go Hmm. yeah I don't think alone is a solution I just don't not with the way the squad is balanced you know we've got there are three players there on permanent contracts it's depends how you you'd move those on i suppose I, I could see it maybe if 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 it became a proper crisis as if we we fulham suddenly aren't picking up points and are dropping towards the the relegation mix and it looks like they can't score for love nor money um and it, it all feels like impending doom you know Allah. The, the Scott Parker season where Mitrovic wasn't playing and it was like need a striker manager wants a striker and and then it ends up with Josh Madger and it, there's no guarantee that that works as as that that very much proved. Um, it, it, it's exactly as you say. I think the if you're going to if you're going to go for a striker and, and at some point Fulham will need to anyway because of the age profile. I think of those strikers and unless Carlos Vinicius hits another level. Um, which I'm not sure he will, but he might do. He might do. You never know. Um, then they're going to need to invest in that position at some point. And it's going to need to be uh, a, a decent investment. It's going to need to be a player proven to score goals necessarily. Uh, and it's one you can't really take too many risks with um, because of the size of the investment. You know, when you're when you're a club of Fulham size in the Premier League and you're looking for a player of that caliber and you need those players of that, that caliber to stay in the Premier League. Every team needs them, particularly as a forward. It makes such a massive difference. Um, you can't really afford to, to misstep. Um, we've, we've seen that time and again. And whether, when you're a, a bigger team, you can, you can, you can make more of those errors and you, you, the drop off will be problematic. You may not qualify for the Champions League. You may not qualify for European competition, but um, when you are Fulham's position, if you get that wrong, and you're saddled with it, uh, it, it lingers in it and it will hold you back. So it's, it's got to be the right player. It's got to be the right profile. Um, and I, this is the other thing. I mean, you're coming into January and you're thinking, right, striker, you're going to make a big investment in a striker. The manager's got six months left on his contract at that point. So I, I, if that situation doesn't change as well, are you going to then buy the, the big striker? And maybe the two can be, the two yeah. can be linked. Um, but it's got to be really with a view point. to the longer term. And that may not necessarily be with necessarily Marco Silva if he's not signed a, a new contract. Yeah, actually, Peter, I, I 
can't believe that I completely was, wasn't going to bring this up, but I'm, I'm glad you mentioned it because it's a slight um, uh, misstep of my duties. Uh, Alex Crook from TalkSport tweeted after the Sheffield United game saying, Marco Silva confirmed to TalkSport he is in talks over a new Fulham FC contract and quote, we have been speaking and with the decisions I made last summer and last season as well, the club know my decision. The business is not done yet. We have much more to do and to improve. And then... I was kind of getting ready, thinking, right, this contract's going to drop any second if he's already talking about it to the press. Obviously, nothing as of yet. Um, any update on that? Because I kind of was under the impression, and I think most people were as well, that it all kind of was dead. Uh, I mean, Marco Silva said he's been talking to the club for quite a while. I mean, whenever he's, we've brought it up. And the last time we brought it up was last month, I think. Um, maybe maybe it was towards the end of the transfer window. Um but basically, we've. I don't. As it stands, I don't know of any particular change in the position. The offer is there for Marco Silva. Has been. Um, he stalled in the summer. We saw that, but he chose not to leave, which was obviously quite encouraging. Um, as it stands, uh, I don't think there's been any material change. I think the transfer window was always going to be important. I remember when we were talking about this, the speculation around Jarpolinia and Alexander Mitrovic and, uh, and Silver at the time, and I wrote a piece about that, uh, about Fulham's task of, of holding on to their key players. And I think at the time I wrote that, that Silver was, was stalling on the contract and I don't necessarily think anything has changed since. Um, so maybe, maybe it will have. I think it will be brought up again that after being asked by, by, by TalkSport um, this week. I think it's... Yeah, like it's it's the most pressing contract thing at Fulham. It's the it's the most pressing thing now. Um, you know, we can talk about Palinia separately and, and whatever happens in in January. But I think Marco Silva is more more important than than that at the moment um, in terms of the direction of the club. And I think either way, they're going to need to there's going to need to be some kind of decision for for, for forward planning. Um, you know, if, if the club are in a more stable position coming into January, I don't think it feels as pressing, but post January looking at the at that summer, then you're gonna to need to want to start thinking ahead about about what's what's coming. Um but yeah, I at the moment, at least to, to my knowledge, there's nothing changed. I mean, you know, as far as Silver's contentment is, it, you know, he's, he's we've I've not heard anything to the contrary about his position. He seems seems to be happy with with what he's got at the moment. Um he's content with the squad he's working with. So let's see. Let's see. I mean it was a, a very uncertain summer. So um, now that we're into the swing of things, let's let's see what comes out. But yeah, as I say, he's he's mentioned that they, they've been talking for for some time. So um, whether there's been any anything's come to fruition, I'm not so sure. Uh, next email from Grace Stevens. Uh, I'm going to read out the whole of this email, but it's uh, it's quite long. But it's it's a really good email. And I think it's worthy of reading uh, in its entirety because you know in the last few Thursday clubs in particular, there's kind of been a portion of the show where we talked about ticket prices a lot and Jack and I have shared our views a lot, but I think it's when you get emails like this, that it's actually 10 million times more important than whatever we think really, because this is someone affected by it. And as much as Jack and I are kind of affected by season ticket prices, it's not quite the same. And that's kind of been a lot of the argument. Anyway, Grace says, 
Hello Fulhamish, I wanted to write to you in hopes of encouraging any Fulham fans attending the Manchester United game on the same day as the Fulham Supporters Trust's planned protest. First, let me say that I was born a Fulham fan. My dad, granddad and his dad before him were all devoted Fulham fans, so I had little choice in the matter. Only through the generosity of my family and schemes such as Kids for a Quid was I able to see our beautiful team's through many ups and downs. I've been smitten ever since by the likes of Murphy, Duffy and Andy Johnson gracing the cottage. I like that Duffy gets a mention in there. I don't know if she's talking about Shane or Damien, but either way, it's good. Uh, Over recent years, however, following my granddad's passing, my dad's relocation to Wales and me moving to Liverpool, I've had less opportunities to see the Whites play. I still make the effort to travel to Northern away games, the most recent being our drubbing at the Etihad and try to attend one home game each season. I fear with the current prices and anticipated increases that future attendance at the cottage is nearing impossible. This email then is aimed at any fans listening to the podcast who are on the fence about participating in the protest. My plea is that if you're unsure as you want, if whether you... My plea is that if you're unsure as to whether you want to get involved, please do. For us Fulham fans who have left London, or those even further afield unable to make our positions known, I implore you to hold up that yellow card on 18 minutes. For as long as I can remember, Fulham has been about family and the changes they are making to our club could dismantle that. In my view, it is a minimal, peaceful act lasting only one minute, but the headlines it may produce could be astronomical in stopping Craven Cottage from becoming a soulless tourist destination only suiting away fans. This might sound desperate to some and And if that works, then so be it. We cannot afford to lose the foundations of our club for business profits and the FST have offered us a starting point. If holding yellow cards does not suit you, then there are other options. Make your own banner, hold or wear a a yellow away kit if you have it. Just please do not let this moment to have fan voices heard pass you by. Um, begging over and done with sorry if I haven't conveyed my message as clearly as possible all the best Grace well I'd certainly uh, disagree you definitely have made your position pretty clear there Grace I thought you were about to say I disagree with the email I was like sorry yeah, you've no, changed your tune <laughs> <laughs> no I definitely agree with the email um, I mean Jack uh, there's not too much to say on that other than I just think that's a brilliantly worded email from someone that I think is indicative of the kind of silent my majority minority i'm not really 100 sure where i where that lies but that really i feel like a, a lot of this is a is about specifically is people like grace and and she just summed it up perfectly i couldn't have actually written it better myself if i was trying to make one up yeah 100 percent. and look we, we face this sometimes when we're talking about things online and we, we're talking about things in in twitter dis, disputes if you will where it's quite hard to convey any sort of depth in 240 characters. So there is this kind of element of, you know, this fan base or this element of the fan base that might not be at the game that need to try and get this point across. And so therefore, a lot of it is going to be on season ticket holders who maybe don't face the same exact problem, but it's something that impacts us all as a community and as a club. And so therefore, it is one that I think that everybody should i mean obviously you have your own choices and everyone can make their own decisions but getting behind it is important because you're also not just representing yourself and your viewpoint but the viewpoints of those who can't afford to be there those who have been priced out of that game and will be priced out of future games and those who you know make that make that journey and make that that kind of vocational pilgrimage if you will to the cottage to actually see their team play, maybe not every single week because of circumstance or location or whatever, but want to still be part of this as a community, as a family, as a club. This is about all of us together. And so when people are like, well, my season tickets are a reasonable price, so therefore why would I participate? 
I think it's about more than that. And it's about looking outside of your own horizons at, at points to see who it's affecting around you. And, and I think Grace's email sums that up perfectly. All right, final email from Nicholas Bowman. And he's titled this one for the international break. We got this a little while ago, but I saved it up as per the instructions of the email. He said, hello, with an international break coming up, maybe this will provide some topical content. Here are some best 11s by nationality. Criteria is this century and Premier League. My question is, where would you rank the teams if they were in a mini league between them? So... We start off with the English eleven, which he's gone for Stockdale and Goal, a back four of Rossinia, Knight, Smalling, Koncheski, Bullard, Reed, Murphy, Clark in midfield, and then Zamora and Cole up front. He's then gone from a home nations, excluding England. Mike Taylor in goal, Finn and Coleman, Hughes and Baird in defence, Wilson, Davies, Kearney, Collins and Duff in a midfield five, and then David Healy on his own up top. There's a non-UK, non-US European eleven, which is Schwarzer, Pansel, Uwadu, Raymond and Wome, Pereira, Diop, Ruiz and Willian in midfield and then Barry Hales and Diamante Kamara up top. A European only 11, which is Van der Sar, uh, Volts, Hangel and Goma, Risa, Steed, Dembele, Polina and Boa and Sahar Mitrovic up top. And then finally, a US 11 of Casey Keller in goal. Uh, he's gone for Luke to Fugerols. Hang on. I think this is US and Canada. Yeah, yeah, okay, this is a North well. American one because, yeah, okay. He's gone for Casey Keller, Luke to Fugerol, Tim Ream, Bocanegra, Anthony Robinson, uh, Eddie Lewis, Emerson Hyman, Thomas Rudzinski, Eddie Johnson, Brian McBride, Clint Dempsey. Right. Where are we ranking these uh, teams? Any obvious ones, uh, maybe bottom or top yeah. to start off yeah. with? The European 11 is so clear, <laughs> the best 11 here, but like, it makes such a big difference. Like, it's so good. That team would have been absolutely rock solid. Team. They would have been brilliant. That team would have, that, would, that, that team would go to the Europa League. Yeah. That's an unbelievable team. Yeah. Van der Sar, Volts, Hangel and Goma, Risa, <laughs> Steed and Barmorte on the wings, Dembele and Polina as a midfield too, and Saha and Mitrovic. It also works. Like All the elements of it work as like a basis. There's not like anyone left on their own. It just, it's a really, really good team. Yeah, okay. I think we can all agree that the European only 11 would absolutely smash this, get a grand slam, um, <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't look back. Um, so, okay, European only is one. Anything in there that you're like, okay, they're going to really struggle? I'm, I'm really worried about the back line of this English 11. Like, <laughs> I, I'm really concerned that they would concede a lot of goals. Stockdale, Rossini, and Knight, Smalling, Koncheski. I'm, I'm, I'm worried. Chris Smalling's good. Chris Smalling is good. It just smacks of earnest industry. <laughs> I, I feel like they could just smuggle out a load of draws. They, 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 they'd get mid-table. I think they'd get mid-table. Okay. I, I don't know. I think that could be the... It's. I think it's between them and the North American eleven as, as the weakest side here. Although I'm really concerned about the lack of... Uh, the lack of any sort of real midfield apart from Papa Diop in yeah. the non-UK, non-US, non-European 11. He's doing a lot of legwork. Pereira, Ruiz and William in front of him. That's a lot, <laughs> that's, of, that's a lot of defensive yeah. work for one man. Also, Uadu and Sesh Raymond. Actually, that side might be yeah. coming bottom. Yeah, I was about yeah. to say, non-UK, non-US, the back four of John Pants, or Abdeslam Uadu, Zesh Raymond and Pierre Wome. I mean, Pierre Wome had a good free kick on him, not much else. Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Schwartz is in goal though. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, he would bail them out of a uh, of a lot. And but you have got Barry Hales up top as well, Diamante Kamara, a front two pairing I would love to see. Yeah, and Abubakar Kamara coming off the bench, great seeds. Um, Home nations excluding eleven, probably excluding eleven, excluding England, second, probably second. Could see them. Yeah, I think they come second. That's a really good yeah. back line, rock solid. And then you've got 
any midfield with John Collins in it is obviously going to going to do well. There is a little bit of a lack of any sort of defensive ability in the midfield, but if you've got Coleman and Hughes behind you, I think it might be okay. And also two two fullbacks who weren't that adventurous, so the back four are going to sit. Yeah, so I think I mean, it Dave, David Healy up front is not bagging you loads of goals, is he? No, but Harry Wilson and Duff on the wings, and then you've got goals everywhere from Simon Davies, Tom Kearney, and John Collins, haven't you? So okay. I, I think they come second just. Okay, just. and finally, uh, there's the US uh, XI. I mean, it's uh, US and Canada, sorry, because there's definitely a couple of Canadians in there. I'm not 100% sure this is pulling up a million trees. We've obviously got like a um, couple of unbelievable talents in there. The left-hand side of Robinson, Radzinski and Dempsey is looking quite strong, but the right-hand side of Luke Defugero, Eddie Lewis and Eddie Johnson is not quite as strong. No, that's true. It's true. I, I think basically it's a question of, I think the non-UK, non-US, non-European 11 is bottom. I think the European only 11 is top. I think the home nations non-England 11 is second. And I think it's a toss up between England and the US for third yeah, and fourth. That's where I've got it. Okay. Great question. You can question. have the casting vote if you want, mate. <laughs> we are going to, um, what, between the home nations and... No, no, between third and fourth, between England and the US. I think... Yeah, Sammy's considering both his allegiances to his uh, to his nation and his business partnerships. <laughs> 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 I just, I can't take any uh, any team with e uh, Eddie Johnson in it seriously. Um, maybe uh, so. I'm going to go for the English eleven. I'm going to stick to my. Okay, well, there you go. There you um, go. Really, really good, Nicholas Bowman. We're going to put that on the Fulhamish Twitter and the Fulhamish Instagram um, um, over the next couple of days. So, because obviously uh, there's a lot of names just thrown at you to listen to, and um, have a look at it. Get in the comments. Let us know which order you think uh, they would finish. Because absolutely wonderful and that will do for the podcast today thank you ever so much for listening uh we'll be back on tuesday uh reviewing everything that happens in the spurs game and then the thursday club will return this time next week thank you very much to my guest jack collins thank you thank you sammy always a pleasure and peter rutzler thank no, you thank you sammy always fun all right have a great weekend and fingers crossed we can upset the apple cart at spurs on monday come on you whites you whites